Scientists play a huge part in our everyday lives. Climate change, helping to solve the world's energy problems, improving our health, and as we've experienced throughout the pandemic, saving lives by responding with fast-tracked global vaccines. There are so many other ways we're positively affected by new discoveries. But how are scientists turning breakthroughs into world-changing businesses? It's one thing making a discovery in a lab, but taking that idea and starting and scaling up into a successful business is just as challenging. From encouraging young people into science in the first place to avoiding startup pitfalls and onto growing a business, even becoming a worldwide leader. In this series, we're going to hear from those who've built a successful science business as they share some of their secrets with us. I'm Hannah Previtt, a business journalist with The Times, and welcome to the Science of Business. In this episode, we're going to discover how the way you run your business can make it a success and how a scientist can become a great role model. Shafali Sharma is co-founding director of Oxford Dynamics and is now working within what has traditionally been a male-dominated world. It's lovely to meet you, Shafali. Thank you so much for joining us today. You have had a really fascinating career so far, really inspiring. So before we get to all the incredible work you're doing now at Oxford Dynamics, I'd like to talk briefly a bit about your background. So I hear you're a pretty big name in the space industry. Can you give us a bit of a glimpse into how you've got to where you are now? In terms of my background, I am a space engineer by training. So I did my uh, master's from Cranfield University in the UK. And after that, I joined a space startup called Oxford Space Systems, where I worked on all things sort of business development, investment strategy, and sort of moved away from an engineering role, but utilizing that knowledge to help the company win some of the biggest contracts. Explain for anybody who hasn't heard of the company before, what exactly it is that you do? Oxford Dynamics is a deep tech startup focused on developing a range of innovative, cutting edge AI based products that solve some of the world's toughest data challenges. We are essentially enabling machines to process and comprehend and interpret data in a much more human-like way so that complex data can be understood by even non-specialists. So to give you an example, health tech world, when you look at a CT scan or you look at an X-ray, you need a specialist to be able to say what you're looking at. But imagine having a piece of AI, an innovative AI that can actually tell you what's going on in that X-ray on CT scan. So focus can now be on what action needs to be taken based on the information that you're being given rather than figuring out what the problem is. What this process does is it essentially decreases the cognitive burden on a human being. We hear a lot about kind of machines versus humans. Machines are going to take people's jobs. But it's not about that, is it? It's about empowering them to make the most effective use of their time, particularly when it comes to things like healthcare. And we know, you know, the NHS and other health systems around the world are really stretched. Absolutely, Hannah. The idea is not to replace humans from the jobs they're doing, but to free up some of their cognitive bandwidth so we can focus on the more tough and important challenges we need to address as a human race. 
So tell me a bit about where you are as a business currently. How many of you are there? Are you pre-revenue? Do you have clients? We really got going about a year ago when our third co-founder, Dr. Eddie Jackson, joined as an equal co-founder. Since then, I'd like to say we have achieved phenomenal amount Within just a span of uh, a year, we've generated just under a million in revenue. We're also cash flow positive, which is unheard of for a business. We've got actual customers who are interested in the technology we are developing. In terms of the team, we've grown from just three of us to about 14, and we are growing in uh, proportion to the commercial interest we are securing. And as we are developing the technology further, there's a lot that has happened just within a year. And we are very, very proud of that journey. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible that you're cash flow positive. I come across a lot of venture capital backed startups that are absolutely burning through cash. And on the subject of venture capital, how are you funded? We have gone for a bootstrapped approach. What I mean by that is it's very important for us to get the customers interested in the technology we are developing. Why we went with that route, it's because we are a big believer in the fact that if a customer needs a technology, they will buy it, they will invest in it. So before we even go out and seek investment, we're not saying we'll never get to that stage. We first of all want to build value in the business, retire as many early risks that come with technology development phase and build value and hopefully avoid equity dilution such an early stage so we can get better value at a later stage when we decide to raise investment from the private investment community. That being said, we get approached from investors all the time. And it's honestly such a privilege to be in this situation that we are, that we can turn away money for now. You are based near Oxford, which is obviously part of the Golden Triangle. Big advantages of that, not least of all, being able to attract brilliant people from the fantastic universities nearby. You've got it exactly, Hannah. So we are based out of Harwell Space Cluster, Harwell Campus. There are about 100 plus space companies, quite a few other deep tech businesses. So access to talent, access to facilities, opportunities to collaborate. You have Oxford University, you know, where you can pull talent from especially in the area we're working in, which is artificial intelligence, the amount of students we have coming in who are looking for opportunities. Yeah, it's it's a great place to be in and just about 45 minutes away from London via train. Very, very excited to be in Harwell. And talking of people and team, perhaps you could tell me a bit more about them and about the dynamics between you, because it's quite unusual, I think, the way that you guys lead the company. Absolutely. So... There's Dr. Eddie Jackson, who has got a postdoc from Oxford University. He also did his PhD from Cranfield. And we had the opportunity to meet and sort of stars aligned, as they say, and started the journey with Oxford Dynamics. Eddie's absolutely amazing. He's quite a visionary in terms of the technology and ideas and things he thinks about. I'm constantly motivated by that vision he has for technology and his desire to to change the world using technologies is something I get motivated by all the time. So it's good to be around that. And then there's Mike Lawton, who is a serial entrepreneur. Mike used to be my boss, actually, uh, when I first started off my journey at Oxford Space Systems, which was the company I was with before. I learned a lot. Everything about commercial world I learned was from 
Mike. So I ever so grateful for his mentorship. And Mike is absolutely phenomenal. I, I've never met a guy who is as relentless, as optimistic. He's very reliable. The fact that he comes with all these hard-earned lessons, it just makes it so much easier for OD to not make those mistakes that perhaps a lot of first-time entrepreneurs make. Well, Shafali, this is probably a good time to meet the team, which I did when I visited your facility at Harwell Campus and had an opportunity to take a look around. The science and innovation campus here at Harwell is pretty impressive. As I drove in just now, I passed the massive diamond light source synchrotron building, a giant circular structure which is just under 740 metres in circumference, before reaching the Oxford Dynamics facility, which is where I'm standing now. Let's go in and meet the team. So we've already heard a lot about the infamous Mike Lawton and Eddie Jackson and I'm thrilled to say they're both here with me now to talk a bit more about what they're doing at Oxford Dynamics. Welcome to you both. So just in a nutshell, if you explain what it is you're doing. What we would describe as a new generation of artificial intelligence and our overarching tagline is enabling machines to think in a much more human-like way. So take, for instance, when you look at an image, how would a human interpret that image is how we're trying to teach a machine to look at that particular image. And that's a breakthrough in artificial intelligence. Perhaps you could tell me a little bit more about some of the products and projects specifically that you've been working on. So I actually have a a problem with my eyes. So if I'm trying to read for long periods of time, I actually get visual migraines, which stops me from reading. Can we take a book and convert it using AI to something that you can watch? And not just watch, but actually hear the same way that you do with your favourite Netflix series. They don't have the diversity that they need. So we're looking to essentially fill that gap using artificial intelligence by generating those amazing bespoke Netflix adaptations, essentially. Perhaps you could start by describing this room and what it is that you're doing in this room, particularly with these very interesting-looking models. So one of the big challenges with the space industry is we want to launch 1,000 more satellites. So we're moving away from just the five or 6,000 satellites we actually have on orbit. We want to put 100,000 satellites on orbit, and that's to give us a new generation of internet connectivity and a whole range of new features. So the challenge is, how do you get 100,000 satellites to behave themselves on orbit? Because to date, everything has been manually controlled. So now we need to move to a new generation of satellites that can be initially semi-autonomously controlled and then fully autonomously controlled. So for a satellite to control itself on orbit, it really needs to understand the space environment around it. So we need a new generation of sensing technology and a new generation of self-understanding by the satellite. And that's where the artificial intelligence comes in. What's going on here? Is that part of that kind of stimulation exercise? To train AI, you need a huge amount of quality data. I think that's probably the dirty little secret of AI. There's no such thing as too much training data. And nothing beats training data from the real world. So what you're looking at here are two model satellites. Yes, we could simulate these in, say, a game engine and generate them virtually, But that doesn't quite give us the fidelity of training data that we can generate by physically building models. So with our very expensive rig of tiny little 3D printed models and fishing wire, we've been generating various uh, approaches and trajectories of satellites uh, on orbit to teach our AI to recognise certain configurations of activity. What we've been doing is we've been using funding from these projects 
to build essentially quite a strong team and expertise in artificial intelligence to essentially help us build some of the products. We've been speaking to Shafali and we've heard lots about her background. Can you perhaps both share with us you know, what's really driving you and motivating you on this current business? I guess I'm the classic geek. So I grew up on a diet of Doctor Who and Star Trek. I was always fascinated with space. I thought, wouldn't it be great if one day I could fly a spaceship? And if you ask my wife, she says, I have to start businesses because I'm unemployable. (laughs) (laughs) And how about you, Reddy? What's the big driver for you? I started wanting to develop something amazing by myself. So maybe some sort of amazing innovation in AI that changes the world. You kind of shortly realize you actually can't do that by yourself. What do you see as some of the main challenges remaining in building this company? I think one of the biggest problems in any company is that you can have a great idea, but it's the execution of the idea that actually is the hard part. And obviously we've talked here extensively about the importance of building the right team. Obviously being situated on a science park like this is absolutely fundamental to that. So there must be something that's keeping you here. When people say, why are you at Harwell? I flip it over, why wouldn't I be? It really is a nexus of fantastic talent. I forget the exact numbers, but over six thousand people on site and all those are fantastically trained and skilled but literally go to the coffee shop and talk to someone about a technical problem and invariably if they don't know the solution that kind of six degrees of separation it guarantees someone on campus can help you but I actually did my first funding deal by bumping into an investor in a coffee shop on campus top tip from you there drink more coffee can you tell us a little bit Mm. more about the second product which I believe builds on empathy how could we use our AI skills to develop perhaps a new way of being empathetic? And Shefali had the great idea of we're building a culture of empathy between humans, but not everybody has the luxury of being around people that care about them and they love. And, and maybe remoteness and being away from people you love could be a challenge. And how do you talk to somebody? In parallel to this, I was at a Navy briefing day where they talked about the challenge of sailors and submariners being away from those that they love and experience loneliness and depression and anxiety. And they actually said, we think AI might be able to offer us a solution. So long story short, can we come up with essentially a digital companion that could listen to you, could respond to you in a human-like way without judging you? So this idea of having an empathy app or an empathy digital companion is the other idea we're working on. That was Mike and Eddie showing me around and talking more about what goes on at Oxford Dynamics. So back now to Shafali Sharma, the company's co-founding director. There's not that hierarchy, is there, between your top team? Absolutely. This is one thing when we started OD, how do we want to structure? And one thing that was absolutely clear to us was... We didn't want a C-level type structure or C-suite titles in the business, at least for now, as we're building the business, building the culture in the team. As you said, there are a lot of reasons why startups feel the need to see you, right? There's that sense that the buck must stop with someone for both internal and external reasons. Another reason is, oh, investors expect it, which I've never understood in the first place. Other reason could be, you know, one founder might have done or has had experience building startups before, or, you know, individual founders with career aspirations may want to have the title on their resume, for example. So there are a lot of reasons why the C-suite titles and that structure exist. But I think most of the times it just boils down to people saying, oh, we want that structure because investors expect it. To me, having a structure like that, especially when you're three co-founders who have 
equally invested in the business, who care equally about the company. It's just not fair, in my opinion, to have a structure like that. Question is then, how do you lead without a CEO? I think we think co-founder is more than enough of a title for us. It demonstrates that we created our company's concept and brought it into being equally. It points to our responsibility to our employees, our customers, our investors. It makes clear that no matter what transpires over the course of the business, each of us was present at creation and has a critical role in moving or helping grow the business. We don't necessarily manage by consensus or committee. We respect the specialties that each of us bring to the table make sure to identify responsible persons for important problems we need to solve and defer decision-making to the others in their core areas of responsibility. Having an approach like that helps us reject the cult of personality that plagues this tech startup world. Yes, and I know when we've spoken before, Shafali, we've talked about some of those kind of cult-like figures, if we dare call them that, founders we put them on a pedestal and they dare not be challenged so yes talk to us a bit about that because there's a lot of ego involved there I feel like you're removing the ego from the equation which is just extraordinary because let's be honest entrepreneurs can have egos between them trust me Hannah I'll be the first person to raise my hand and say my god I have ego I'm a very strong-headed individual. There's a reason I even thought of starting a business. You need a bit of that to even think of starting a business. I think it's a necessary evil that is needed to be in a role like that. So it just comes with the territory, in my opinion. But what that ego does is it kills the business culturally. And then we wonder, why do people don't care about each other? Why is it always about the revenue, the cash? Why isn't it about the people? And then you have one side of the business saying, well, it's all about the culture. We need to look after each other. It's never about the money. If you look after the people, money, cash, business, everything will be taken care of itself. So that thought really, you know, from my own experience in my career uh, has really stuck with me. And it was so important for me to just not have that ego. But you know, the most beautiful thing is we're working so hard together to kill that ego and be curious about each other's opinions. Why is that person saying what they're saying rather than actually judging them? We want to understand where is that position coming from? Even though it may not resonate with where I'm coming from, right? My experiences but it's an opportunity to learn and grow together. Do I know how to build a successful business? I mean, in terms of our vision, we want to build a unicorn, if I may say so myself. Does anyone know how to build a unicorn? If we had a formula, then everyone would be doing it. If you don't, then what stops you from trying different things? What stops you, in my opinion, is your own ego that gets in your way. It's been a tough journey over the last year. I will not say it's been easy. There have been plenty of arguments, plenty of tough discussions. But a year later, I'm so proud of us to be able to say, my God, we've come a long way. Three of us together are able to put each other before we put ourselves. We have help from a life coach. Sometimes it can get difficult, you know, getting three people to listen to each other. We recognize that early on itself. So having a life coach who could call us out, you know, I would love to hear from someone else who says, Shafali, here, the way you talked, 
that was wrong. You know, you could work better. So we're on that learning journey together. But how do you therefore make sure that everyone's clear on who they go to with what problems? Because there are, as you said, daily problems when you're growing a business, right? How do you communicate that internally, as well as, I guess, to an extent, externally? There is a method to this madness, and I, I promise you. And we're trying to figure out what that method is. It may not be as optimized because... Honestly, no one's done it before successfully. So if we had a formula, we'd just be following it. The reality is we're trying to figure out what is that method and we're evolving together as a team. The biggest change we've brought about is before our week starts, Eddie, Mike and I, we sit around the table and on the whiteboard, we talk about everything that is on our plate. And all three of us then will figure out well, what from that list would each of us would like to own. And that would be the task that we do for the rest of the week. And then we also have a monthly catch up in terms of what are the key things that the business needs to achieve and so on in a monthly sort of call. How we share that with the team is we have weekly team calls, actually, or team meetings where we relay this information to the team that here are the priorities for the company, here are the names of the people who will be owning those actions and and activities so if there's anything related to that that you need help with then you know who to go to but you know the biggest part is Hannah we're getting so used to not actually having one person for one responsibility that's the culture we're trying to cultivate where I'm using a very simple example here if there's an issue around culture or someone is not sure of the company's culture and how we're doing things it shouldn't just be my responsibility. I may start the discussion, but Mike and Eddie are equally responsible. So we ourselves are building our own skill set so we can be useful to the rest of the team. And once you bottle that, you'll be able to sell that for millions too, Shafali. So you've alluded a couple of times to, you know, the difficult journey of building a startup. So can you give any examples of where things have gone wrong and how you've responded to them? And I always find that audiences are fascinated hearing from successful entrepreneurs about how they deal with the setbacks. You know, as ever, businesses struggle with gaining traction with customers. You know, initially you start off with thinking, okay, if I go on this journey, I'll be able to secure this customer. Here's the the lay of the land. Here's the strategy. And I'm going to go after that. And not every time you can secure that customer, right? So what happens when a contract doesn't come through? What happens when a customer doesn't pull through as you initially envisaged? And OD already has gone through a couple of those experiences. So how do we pick ourselves up? I think it comes back to us three. I mean, this is the strength in the team is even if I'm feeling down that day, I'm human. Of course, I'm not resilient 100% of the time, but I know I have Mike to rely on and I know I have Eddie to rely on. There'll be days when they'll be able to say, let's test ourselves off. Here's the strategy. Let's keep going. So a lot of those things have happened. Uh, you know, people leaving the business at an early stage. How do you retain talent, especially when you're trying to do something new, such a disruptive thing you're trying to do with culture? It may not sit well with everyone. Beyond that, how do you make sure that the team are playing nice, right? Getting along and working well. There's just a lot of those examples on a day-to-day basis that we have to deal with. I'd say it, it comes back to our strength as a team. How do we pick ourselves up? Well, I have Mike and Eddie to rely on. And when Mike 
sort of feels despondent or doesn't feel he has the energy, then I'm there to support and Eddie is there. And same for Eddie. Me and Mike are there to support each other. So hopefully, if there are any listeners who are interested in this sort of structure, they can see there's so much value and strength in, in the way we operate. In my introduction, I mentioned that it's a male-dominated world. And I'm just interested in how you feel about this. You know, being a woman from an engineering background, it can go one of two ways, can't it? Sometimes women say it's been a challenge. It's been an obstacle that I've had to overcome. Others will see it as their superpower. So which can for you in Shafali? Absolutely see it as my superpower. <laughs> I've had a tough ride. You know, I'm not going to lie that uh, my journey so far in a male-dominated industry has been far. You know, I've been challenged in ways perhaps a male wouldn't be. I've been questioned. I've been in previous roles and more so at an unconscious level of bias, you know, as a female of color, not just a female, I'm a female of color as well. What does that mean when you're sitting in in a meeting that is dominated by white men? So I've gone through a lot of that in my life. I've learned so much in terms of how to navigate that. I don't see that as a challenge anymore. I have my days when say I may not feel respected in a meeting, for example. But the great thing is I have Mike and Eddie always supporting that pick up on these things so easily to the point where we even refuse to work with people who do not align with our value system. One thing we do is even when we speak to investors, even when we speak to collaborators or customers, First thing we say is so important for us to know that your value systems aligns with ours. That's so interesting. And I absolutely love that about, you know, it's having allies around us, isn't it? And kind of sponsors and people that are going to support us every step of the way. And I suppose your structure reinforces that as well. The fact that one of your co-founders doesn't have that kind of perceived hierarchy and you are absolutely on a level with them. If you had to give one piece of advice to somebody who's listening about starting a business, building a successful dynamic between the team and building a brilliant culture and a fantastic place to work, what would be your kind of golden nugget? I think it, it comes back to something I've believed in all my life. And perhaps this is because I was brought up in a joint family. I had a big family. I was one of the eldest ones or oldest ones. And I had about six other cousins to look after. But the only way I saw them doing what they needed to do was through love, empathy and vulnerability. So anyone who is listening, who has aspirations to be a leader, an entrepreneur, or just wanting to change the world, the only thing I would say is, lead with empathy and vulnerability. That is so very important when you're building a team. No one likes to be told off. No one likes to be told how to do things. In as much as you're leading them, you also have the responsibility to build them up in their careers. So it's a big responsibility. It's like having a child. You've got to look after your team like they are your children. Always try and have a curious mindset. Well, Shafali, what an absolutely fantastic note to end on. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute joy to spend this time with you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Hannah. Mm-hmm.
Since we met Shafali for that interview, I'm delighted to tell you that her company, Oxford Dynamics, has won the prestigious Oxfordshire LEP New Business Award. So many congratulations to Shafali and her team. In our next episode, finding space to put your business into. This is the first incubator space for in London and we creating incubator wing where you would have eight different units. You can have life sciences companies, early stage companies here. They can have a single unit or they can have multiple units with flexibility, but it would form a really nice scientific community here. That was Manisha Kalkani, Director of Science and Technology at Bulb Laboratory Interiors whose new and exciting approach is offering businesses a place to call home. Why is location so important? And with laboratory space being expensive, what about turning to serviced labs instead? These are just some of the things we'll be sharing with you next time in the Science of Business. I'm Hannah Previtt, a business journalist with The Times. This podcast has been brought to you by ARC, the smarter partner for science, and is a Fresh Air production. Follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.